We are going to finish up our series on the Birkat Kohanim, the priestly blessing today. We've covered, remember, just a little reiteration here. There are three distinct parts to the blessing. And with each part, it bears the holy tetragrammaton of the Lord, Yahweh or Yehovah by some of you. And with each time we see the holy name of the Lord, there is affixed to it two forms of action. For example, the Lord, Yahweh, will bless you and keep you. Now we have covered the first two lines of this blessing, and now we're going to move to the third, which is the following. Let's see if I can get this to work. There we go. Isa Adonai Panavalecha Viasem Lecha Shalom. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. The first thing I want to mention here, and we're going to start out slow, is the similarity of the second line, which we covered in our last message, at least the first part of the second line, and the first part of the third line here. In other words, let me put this on the screen. This will start to make sense. In the second line, we read, Ye'er Adonai Panavalecha. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. In the third line, this final line, we read, Yisa Adonai Panavalecha. Now notice, this, you don't need to know Hebrew. Just look at these two lines, and they're virtually identical, with exception, one exception is the first word in each line. Otherwise, they are identical. And the one thing you need to realize about this is, in a sense, this is a reiteration. And when you see type stuff like this in Scripture happen, it's for emphasis. There's an emphasis here. But I will tell you, there's more than that going on. You know, last in our last message, when we looked at Ye'er Adonai, Panavalecha, may the Lord make his face to shine upon you, what we discovered is that it's all about Yeshua. He was Emmanuel, God with us. When he came, he said to Philip, have I been with you so long, Philip? If you see me, you've seen the Father. I mean, this, is, this was God. They had seen the face of God, like Jacob had seen the face of God when he clung to the angel. And what we're going to see today is that this story is going to continue. Yisa means to lift up. That's what it means. It's the only difference here. Ye'er is to shine. Well, now... The Lord's saying, and he's going to lift up. Let me show you why this is so fascinating and where Yeshua comes into the mix here. As we go to John chapter 3, we are going to find that Yeshua's having this discussion with a very prominent rabbi, Nicodemus. And listen to what he says. He says, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And, Moses, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, the son of man must be what? Lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Absolutely fascinating. Yeshua, in regard to himself, he says, I must be lifted up. Why? It was for forgiveness. It was because of the sins of the world. And so what I'm telling you is as we look at that, Yisa, Yisa Adonai, may the Lord lift up his countenance, his panav, his face. May he lift this up upon you. What we are seeing is we are seeing the story of Yeshua in the blessing. This is, this is mind-blowing. This is incredible. Let me take this a step further. 
and, and show you that I'm not so crazy. The old Jewish sages, as we go to the Talmud, the Babylonian Talmud, in tractate Rosh Hashanah, they look at this passage, Yisa Adonai Panavalecha, and they share what it means. This is how they, in, from ancient times, they've understood this passage. This is pretty incredible. This is what we read. Here at number 626, which refers to God's lifting his countenance in forgiveness. The reference is to transgressions that are between a person and the omnipresent. In other words, what the sage has just told you, when we read about the text, Yisad Adonai Panavalecha, it is about forgiveness. When the Lord lifts up his countenance, that's all about forgiveness. And as we look in hindsight, is now 2020 with the revelation of Yeshua. We know that his countenance has been lifted as Moses lifted the serpent on the pole. Let me take it a step further. And I'm going to take you to the Psalms and show you that the Psalms even prophesied that this, it was, it's a messianic thing. That the Messiah would do this. That it's about the Messiah. This lifting of the countenance. Psalm 44 verse 3, we read this. For they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them. I want to stop here. There's more we're going to look at. But I want to stop here. The context is important. The writer is giving glory to the Lord. And he's recognizing my ancestors that went in to Israel, into the land of Canaan, they didn't go and take the land by their own strength. They didn't go and take it by their own wisdom. It wasn't their brilliant strategy that outsmarted the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, all these nations that they went into. It wasn't any of that. Well, what was it? Well, he tells us. But it was your right hand, your arm. I want to stop here because you need to understand, as you go through the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, every single time that you see a reference to the right hand of the Lord or to the arm of the Lord, that is explicitly about Yeshua. You have to understand that. I'll give you an example. Isaiah 53, a passage about his suffering, that he would be an asham, a guilt offering for us, right? It's by his stripes we would be healed. How does it begin? Isaiah 53 begins, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm, the Zeroah of the Lord, been revealed? He shall grow up as a tender plant. In other words, this Messiah that was to come, he specifically identified, I'm just giving you one example, he is identified as the arm of the Lord. Well, that's critical because as I read this, they didn't gain possession of the land. No, it was through Yeshua. That's how they gained possession. It was the arm of the Lord. Now, here's where it relates to the blessing as we go into the very next statement. Oh, and the light of your countenance. Because you favored them. And the light of your countenance, notice, this right hand, this arm, is equated to the light of the countenance. So as we look at this statement here, Yisa, Adonai, Panavalecha, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. I'm telling you, this is all about Yeshua. He's in focus, he's in view. You want this blessing. He has to be on the forefront of your mind. He has to be in your mouth. You have to confess him. You have to believe him in your heart. And if you do, guess what happens? Well, we get to the final statement, the crescendo of the blessing. If we do this, then it reads, Ve'yaseim l'cha shalom, and give you peace. 
Let me ask you a question. How does, how does peace happen? How are we given peace? Because he lifted up Yeshua. He lifted up his countenance upon us. And because of him, we can have peace. Because of him, we can have mercy. We can have grace. I want to take you to the gospel of Luke. Because again, you know, this entire blessing, it's one massive testimony about our Lord. That's what it is, which makes it a blessing. But Luke 2.13 says this, and suddenly there was an angel uh, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, and so you, I think most of you, I'll assume, know the story of Yeshua's birth, recorded in Luke 2, right? He is born. Then the angel shows up to the shepherds feeding their flock by night. And then all of a sudden, all the hosts of heaven make an appearance to these shepherds. And if, I mean, could you even imagine having heaven, in essence, opened with the hosts of, of heaven crying out? And what did they say? They said, glory to God in the highest. Oh, and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. Why did they say this? They said this because the king of Israel had come. The Mashiach had been born. Yeshua's on arrival. He is the peace. He is the peace of God. You think about this as, you know, you hear this prayer. I mean, how many times are we going to hear this prayer over and over again? We say it every Shabbat. Most of you say it every day, maybe over your family, over your children. How many times are you going to hear it? Does it mean anything? Or is it we get into this mundane routine of just saying words? You know, when I, I, I close my eyes and I say this blessing, I am experiencing the power in my heart, in my mind of Yeshua, knowing he is the source of all blessing. He is the source of the Birkat Kohanim. Ephesians 2.14 says this. Maybe it doesn't. It does. <laughs> For he himself is our peace. Paul just comes out, right out and says it. Yeshua is our peace. So when we hear those words at the crescendo of the blessing, I hear Yeshua. He is my peace. Now, there's a dimension here we're talking about. Because, you know, every aspect of the blessing, I really want you to appreciate. I want you to feel the gravity. I want you to feel the weight of it. Especially here. How are we supposed to understand peace? What does that mean? I mean, I can say the name Yeshua, but what's the impact? What is the impact that's tangible for us to have? Well, you see part of it right here. He says, for he himself is our peace who has made both one, he's referring to Jew and Gentile, and has broken down the middle wall of separation. I want you to think about something. Prior to the coming of the Prince of Peace, prior to his coming, there was no hope for the Gentile. They were without God. This is Paul's words, not mine. They were without God. They had no hope. There was no chance of salvation. God separated his people. And guess what they had? The children of Israel had it all. They were the ones that received the truth. They were the ones at Mount Sinai that received his wisdom. When they get the commandments, Moses comes out and says, this is your wisdom, this is your understanding. He goes on to say, what nation has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to you? For whatever reason, you can call upon him. And what nation has such statutes and righteous judgments as you do, Israel? And the answer is that none. 
There was nobody that had what they had. There was no promises. There was no covenant for the Gentiles. And yet, when the Prince of Peace came, he broke down the middle wall of separation, joining the circumcised with the uncircumcised. And even in the apostles' day, they couldn't even wrap their mind around it. Why do you think Peter withdrew? In Galatians chapter 2, he withdrew from the Gentiles. He feared what all his nation had, had practiced for over 1,400 years, separating themselves. We're not going to eat with filthy Gentiles. It's unclean. They're unclean. They do not have God. They're not a part of us. To even the point Barnabas is carried away by Peter. Now you think about that. When you think about part of understanding what peace is, think about that. That now, though you had no hope at one time because of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace, now you can be grafted into Israel. You can be, all, now this book relates to you. All these promises, now they're for you. They weren't. Only through the Prince of Peace. Now, to me, that makes peace valuable. That's extremely valuable. Amen? I want to take you back to the Gospel of Luke. There's some other things that need to be brought to the table for us to really appreciate this peace, this shalom that is being discussed in this priestly blessing. And Luke 19, verse 42, we read the following. If you had known, even you, especially this in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. This is Yeshua declaring this statement to a very wicked and evil generation. Now, again, that's not my opinion. This is Yeshua's words. He makes the statement in Matthew 12. He knew what kind of generation he came to. They were wicked. I think of the statement, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Woe to you, Capernaum. For if the works that had been done in you had been done in Sodom, Sodom would still be here to this day. That is a vile and wicked generation. And he comes and he says, if you only knew the things that make for your peace, what does it tell you about peace? It's real simple. There are things that you need to get peace. This is you know, obviously not rocket science. This is not, you don't need to be a scholar. There are certain things that you need to achieve, that you need to receive, that you need to hold on to if you want shalom. Well, that begs the question, what? What things are we talking about? How do I get this shalom that is being prayed every Shabbat over the people? Well, the Lord uh, begins to answer that question in the, through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah 48, 18, we read the following. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. Then, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness, like the waves of the sea. That's how it's done. You want the shalom of God? You want the shalom that is prayed over you every, every Shabbat? Heed his commandments. I think, of, I, I, well, I think of a lot of passages. If you love me, Yeshua said, you will keep my commandments, John 14, 15. Right? And what, what about uh, Hebrews 5, 9? He becomes the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. We're told in Acts 5.32 that he, you're only going to get the Spirit. The only, the only people that get the Spirit of God are those who obey him. In Acts 5.29, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commandments. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God 
and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. You want peace? Listen to him. Now, by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. We wonder why we don't have peace. Even though there's food on your table, even though, as far as I know, every one of you have heat in their houses, and we have blankets, you have the ability to trance, you know, get in your car and go to and fro, some of us are a complete train wreck. And what I'm telling you is, if, if you don't have peace in your heart, that is a red flag. Something is wrong with your relationship with the Lord. You know what I mean? Times I've caught myself in this, where when I don't have peace, there's something wrong. Not with the Lord, there's something wrong with me. I am not with him. I'm not in relationship. Something's out of whack. And, and I can tell you what it is. It's the heart. It hasn't humbled itself. It, it isn't seeking him. It's getting distracted by the things of the world. He's not my number one. I've lifted up other idols in my heart. You wonder why you don't have peace. This is why you don't have peace. And see, now you start to look at the commandments differently. You know, the world looks at them and goes, that's ridiculous. You're trying to steal my joy. It's the exact opposite. If you want joy, you will yield to these commandments. The Lord knows what he's talking about. Why are all these rock stars and, and movie stars who in the eyes of the world have everything? The fame, the fortune, the drugs, the sex, the rock and roll. They have it all and they're shooting themselves dead. Is that the joy that you want? Something is off. The peace of the world is not the peace that is being spoken of in the Birkat Kohanim. The peace that is in God's heart to give to us. We want that peace I'm telling you right now, we need to be obedient. Luke 19.42, going back to the passage, if you had known, even you especially, in this your day, the things that make for your shalom, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Not the words that if I'm a Jew living in the first century that I'm expecting to hear from the king of Israel. This is not what I'm expecting. And yet now he is prophesying Jerusalem is coming down. 70 AD, the Romans, he's a true prophet. He prophesied this would happen and this is exactly what happened. The Romans came in and destroyed everything. The question is why? What happened? He tells us in the very next verse, because you did not know the time of your visitation. In other words, you did not confess me. You didn't recognize me. You didn't follow me. You rejected me. So again, if you want peace, we know two things about this right now. The structure of the faith has been brought to the table. Number one, you gotta keep the commandments of God if you want shalom. Number two, you got to turn the phone off. <laughs> Number two, you need Yeshua. That's what you need. You need to have Yeshua. There is no peace apart from the Prince of Peace. You cannot have it. I think of this statement by the Lord in John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Yes, he is the central key figure 
to obtaining this peace. I need this peace. I don't know about you, but I need peace in my life. And he is the answer. In him you'll have peace. You know, it's interesting. I want to put this up. This is the Greek. So in the Greek, it's erene. And it means, it tells you what peace means. It's rest, it's tranquility, it's security, it's harmony, it's one. Do you know, if you, if you trace the etymology of erene, actually where it, where it hails from, the, the, the Greek is ero, and what it means is to join. Isn't that fascinating? So erene, the etymology going back, it means to join. And I'm telling you, this is the key. It's to join Yeshua in relationship. It's to join him, and then we will have Erene. Then we will have Shalom. This is what we need. Now, Yeshua goes on. He says this. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Isn't that interesting? So despite everything that's going on in the world, right? The corruption, the fear, the violence, the hatred, the chaos, the anxiety, all the evil, all the sin, all the communism that we see plaguing this nation and the world right now, according to Yeshua, I can have peace. It is possible. Now you think about that. In the midst of awful and horrendous tribulation, how is that possible? What does that look like? Well, I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like guys like Joseph Bondarenko, a, a radical Billy Graham in Russia, the, the, considered the, the Billy Graham of Russia, saving thousands upon thousands, who spent a good portion of his life, where? In communist prison. Abused, tortured. Tried to be, you know, they tried to psychologically brainwash every one of their prisoners. It's a beyond hellish experience. And yet he had peace. It looks like Richard Wormbrand. You know, one of the most powerful testimonies I've ever heard, especially in light of what we're talking about when Yeshua says, in the world you'll have tribulation, but in me you'll have peace. He is a living example of what this looks like. And to help you guys out, I just want to share a couple minutes of his testimony. Listen carefully to what he says because it relates to every aspect of what we're talking about in regard to Yeshua's peace that we need to have. I had children like you. One day I was kidnapped from the street by the communists, and I didn't see my children again for 10 years. The children wept after their father who disappeared. Listen, wives. I had a wife. She was put in prison when I was put in prison too, and then for years she never knew anymore if I am alive or dead. She was told officially that I am dead. Men were sent to her to say the lies that they are released prisoners and that they have attended my burial, and my wife continued to wait for me because in a vision she saw me. Listen, you who are mothers, my mother died. Her last words were my Richard. She died while I was in prison, waiting in vain for her son to come back. And what has been my crime? The crime of thousands of Christians in the Soviet camp and in Soviet Romania whence I come, 
my crime has been to confess publicly Christ as Savior. I have been a Lutheran pastor in Romania. For years I led there a secret missionary work among the Russian, the Russian soldiers who had stolen our country. We printed secretly for them thousands of Gospels and other Christian literature. We brought many of them to Christ. We have worked also among the Romanian communists. We published books for them. And in the end, in the year 1948, on a day, on a Sunday, while I went to church, I was kidnapped by the communists. Four men pushed me into a van of the secret police. It was on the 29th of February. The first thought which came into my mind when I was in the hand of the communist torturers was that in the Bible, the words don't be afraid occur 366 times, once for every day of the year. And because there is the extra day of the leap year, it is not 365, but 366 times. I knew that even in the van of the secret police, I am in the hands of the Almighty God, and this gave quiet to my heart. I was led to a prison which is 30 feet beneath the earth, and for years I was kept there in solitary confinement. Don't think that I speak about my sufferings. I speak to you about the suffering of my whole country and of the church behind the Iron Curtain, which has given in these years innumerable martyrs, heroes, and saints. I have been among the little and the weak ones in prison. I speak about these great heroes of faith. In my case, you can see what happened to them. For years we were kept, everyone alone in a cell. Never have we seen sun, moon, stars, flowers, snow. Never have we seen a man except the interrogators who beat and tortured. Air entered through a tube. Never have we had a book, never a bit of paper, when after many years I had to write again, I did not remember how to write a capital D. We lay on a few desks, we looked to the ceiling, that was all. Never could we hear in this prison even the slightest noise. The guards had closed shoes and there was a silence which you could cut with a knife. And now, in this absolute solitude, we could experience if Christianity is true or not. I am a man, a pastor apart, who doesn't know the Bible. I have not read it 14 years, and I have forgotten it. I have forgotten my theology, but I have touched spiritual realities. We have touched the world of angels, and with great humility, we can reproduce the words of the Apostles in the first epistle of St. John. What we have seen with our eyes, what we have heard with our ears, what we have touched with our own fingers, this we tell to you.
The first time when we were put in solitary confinement was like dying. Once the angels of death will take you too, and you will remain alone with the remembrance of your past life. It has been a horrible time every one of us lived again his past sins and his neglects of duty. So we all had an unimaginable pain in our hearts, thinking that we have not done our utmost for the highest, for the one who has given his life for us on the cross. And when we were in the depths of this remorse and of this pain, at once the walls of the cell began to shine like diamonds. I have heard Bach, I have heard Beethoven in my life, I have seen California, I have seen uh, Neapoli, I have seen many beautiful things. Never have I seen the beauties which I have seen in the dark cell beneath the earth. Never have I heard such a beautiful music as on that day, the King of Kings, Jesus was with us. We saw his understanding, his loving eyes. He wiped away from our eyes our tears. He said to us words of love and words of forgiveness. We knew that everything which had been evil in our lives has passed away, has been forgotten by God. And now there came wonderful days. The bride was in the arms of the bridegroom. We were with Christ. We didn't know that we were in prison. Sometimes we were taken to interrogatories. We were beaten, we were tortured. But just as St. Stephen, while they threw stones at him, did not see his murderers, did not see the stones, but saw heaven open and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, so we didn't see any more the communist torturers. We had, didn't see that we are in prison. We were surrounded by angels. We were with God. We don't believe anymore about God and about Christ and about angels because Bible verses say like this. We didn't know Bible verses anymore. Not because theological books assert it, but because we have experienced this. And after years of solitary confinement, the worst came. We were put together in great cells. Sometimes in a cell there were 200 and 300. Believe me, those who hear me, I am a pastor, and my duty would be to tell you the whole truth. I'll not do it, because you could not bear to hear the whole truth. We're going to stop it there. That's what this looks like when Yeshua is talking about that in him we will have peace in the world you will have tribulation. The most mystifying thing about his testimony is, is the worst experience he's ever had in his life. He's completely broken. There's nothing left. He, he's not allowed to read a Bible. He's been in there over a decade. You think about all the things that you forget in God's word. Worst possible situation, and he has the greatest experience of his life. Only Yeshua can do that. And here you have, isn't it ironic? He's a Jewish Christian. He's from a Jewish family. Richard Wurmbrand. 
as Israel becomes a nation, he's brought into the depths of hell. That just blows him in 1948. So, and he's gone for the next decade. I mean, that, this, this is an incredible thing. And so you, you look at his story. This is what Yeshua is talking about. This is the peace that you want to have. See, this peace passes all understanding. It makes no sense. How could you even, even the communist guards, there's much more to his, to his testimony I could go through. There's much more uh, to other men like Joseph Bondarenko that I, that I could share with you that when the Spirit of God fell and Yeshua was comforting them, their whole world flipped upside down. And, and, and even communist guards don't understand, how is this possible? How is this even possible? You know, I, I, I think of stories, like biblical stories, like the, the, the Shunammite woman, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. This woman lost the most precious thing to her. She only had one child, a son. And he was taken from her. This woman lost her only son. And you read the story, and and Elisha the prophet, he sends his assistant Gehazi to go check on her. He doesn't know anything of what's going on in her life. He's just checking on her. They got a good relationship. They take her and her husband taking care of him. So he sends Gehazi, and and listen to this. This is one of the most amazing passages you'll read anywhere. Please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Now, I didn't put the Hebrew up on here, but, but if you were to read it in the Hebrew, and listen to me carefully, even if you don't know Hebrew, you're going to recognize something. Hashalom lach. This is what Alicia says. Is it peace? Is there peace with you? This is a woman that lost her son. Now, most people in, in the real world, come on, they're, they're, no. There's no peace. I'm miserable. I'm in agony. But he goes on and asks, is it well with your husband? Oh, is it well with the child? Right? Hashalom layelid. Is it peace with the child? Most mind-blowing response. Here is her response. It is well. In the Hebrew, only one word. Shalom. This was her response. There's no way... You could possibly have this response without literally having the Spirit of God living inside of you. Experiencing a peace that passes all understanding. The days that are coming, and nay I say are here, this is the peace that you need to have. Period. This needs to be your focus. You need to go after the Prince of Peace. It is possible There's so many other testimonies I could give you in regard to true believers who sought first the kingdom of God, whose faith was established and strong. They experience this birkat koanim in its fullness, the crescendo, and give you peace. Yeshua says in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you? Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Okay, so the peace that Yeshua gives, it, it doesn't give into fear, it doesn't give into temptation, it, it doesn't give into deception. It's not overcome by horrific circumstances. It's not discouraged or overcome by bad reports. It holds the line. It's not moved. This is a person who's built on the rock. Man, so as, as we look at this, 
Birkat Kohanim as a whole, and the blessing, and everything that's in there, there's a lot being said here. There's a lot to expect. There's a lot to understand. But none of it will happen until there's full surrender to Yeshua. You will experience none of this. And yet I tell you, you will experience this in full if you have that relationship intact. One more thing we need to cover is the very next verse. So here's the Birkat Kohanim, here's the blessing, then something is said. It's the last verse in the chapter. And this is what is said. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. So get this. The Kohen Gadol goes out, he stretches forth his hands, and he goes and he says, he invokes these words of God that God himself have commanded to be spoken. His words. He stretches forth his hands. He says this, and what happens is his name. His name is put upon them. Now you want to try to wrap your mind around that for a second. I mean, you want to talk about mystifying, mystical. I mean, we're, we're getting into territory that is deeply spiritual. Nay, I say it's supernatural. But how are we supposed to understand that? What does it really mean? I want to begin, I want, we need to spend some time on this. I want to begin by telling you what it's not. And we could go back to week one. If you go back to week one in this series, you, you realize we talked about this amazing archaeological discovery where Dr. G- uh, Gabriel Barkai, he found something in Jerusalem, specifically Ketef Hinnom. And it was these two tiny little silver scrolls. And these were not scrolls that you would go to the synagogue and they would pull out the Torah portion and unroll these scrolls and read the week's Torah portion. These scrolls were worn as amulets. They were worn actually on the person. Now, you think about that. You think about what we talked about in week one, in light of what we read here, in light of what we know about traditional Judaism and how traditional Judaism at times takes certain passages of Scripture that are obviously deeply spiritual, but they, they read them hyper-literally. For example, Deuteronomy 6 in the Shema, we're told that you're to bind the commandments of God as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You can go to Israel today, you can go to synagogue today, and they will bind tefillin. They literally carry this out, they bind tefillin with a little leather box, certain passages from the Torah, and they'll do the same on their head. And that is seen as, now I have fulfilled what Scripture has said. It stands to reason, it's not out of the question, obviously, that these particular Jews that were donning this beautiful blessing, which is beautiful, may just have been donning it to fulfill this reality. That you shall put my name on them. So they're literally bearing his name on their person. Now, like I said, we should, we should put scripture on our shirts. I think it's fantastic. There's, that's a great thing. But the reason I bring this up is you need to understand something. That is not what this passage is talking about. It is a lot more than, it transcends anything you could do in the flesh. Trust me when I say that. So how are we supposed to understand this? The fact that this Birkat Konim is being prayed over the people, and all of a sudden the holy tetragrammaton, the name of the Lord, comes upon the people. Well, let me take you to the book of Exodus. As you get to Exodus 33, Moses asks something cool 
He asked the Lord, show me your glory. Now, that could go one or two ways, right? That could be very scary. The glory of the Lord, are you kidding me? I mean, I look at men like Job and Isaiah. uh, They fall as dead men. They're terrified. But Moses asked, show me your glory. And the Lord actually responds favorably. And he says, yeah, I will allow all my goodness to pass before you. But he he doesn't end there. Then he says this, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord. I think about that. that It's such an awesome statement. I will proclaim my name. Peculiar, even. Well, as you come to Exodus 34, this comes to pass. And we read this, and you know this because this is in our battle cry, but Exodus 34, verse 5, Now the Lord descended in a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Oh, Yahweh, Yahweh, El, the Lord, the Lord, God. Now here's the thing, what you have to understand. And this, is one of, this is one of my favorite passages. There's a reason I put it in the battle cry. It's one of my favorite all-time biblical passages ever. And today you're going to find out why. He proclaims his name, but he's not done. He has not finished proclaiming his name. He doesn't stop here. I'm Yahweh, I'm Yahweh. And that's the end of it. No, no, no. He says, the Lord, the Lord God. Then he says, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. It goes on, keep mercy with thousands. This is his name. Do you, do you understand? Let me, let me help you. As you go to Matthew chapter one, the angel comes to Joseph and he says, you're to call the name, that the, the, the son that's gonna be born to Mary, you're to call him Yeshua. But then he tells him why? Because he will save their people from their sins. Do you understand the name of Yeshua? It has an actual meaning. It means savior. It means he's going to save us. That's what his name means. Do you understand what the name Yahweh means? Merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth. This is his name. Now think about the Birkat Kohanim for a second and what what is being said in it. Lord bless you and keep you. May he be gracious unto you. May he give you peace. All of these things are the very character and nature of God. His total heart. It's his name. And you shall put my name upon them. Why do you think he sits on a throne called the Hakaparet? It's called the mercy seat. The very throne he sits on is the mercy seat. This is his name. Let me take this a step further and tie some, what is this? Oh, I forgot. I, okay, I threw this in. We'll, we'll go through this just real quick. Behold, the days are coming, and says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper, execute judgment, righteousness in the earth. Real simple. This is a messianic prophecy, right? The Mashiach is coming. The Messiah is coming. This gets interesting. In his days, Yehuda will be saved, and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called. Interesting. Yahweh Zekenu. The Messiah is called by the name of God. Now, when you're reading the Birkat Kohanim and you're reading every time, that three times the name of the Lord is mentioned, understanding you're reading what the Father would do through his Son. There is no one else that can bear the name Yahweh Sekenu except the Son of God. He is the only one. Now, with that said, building on this, He who overcomes, this is Yeshua speaking to the church of Philadelphia. 
He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God. Isn't that interesting? So who says the blessing? When it was, when it was instructed to, it was the Kohen. The Kohen Gadol would go forth and literally put the name of God on the children of Israel. And Yeshua steps up as the Kohen Gadol and says, I am the one that will write the name of my God upon you. And the name of the city of my God, the new Yerushalayim, which comes down out of heaven from my God, oh, and I will write on him my new name. See, this is something that's spectacular in regard to looking at the Birkat Kohanim. All I see is this work of the Father through the Son. And Yeshua comes in the book of Revelation and says, yes, we're Echad. You're going to bear the Father's name, you're going to bear my name. Absolutely incredible. I want to close today kind of in an unusual fashion. I want to look at something that made national news not that long ago uh, where this gentleman right here, Emmanuel Cleaver, United Methodist pastor, member of Congress, right? How many of you saw what I'm about to get into? A few of you. Okay. Well, this made national news. And uh, I believe he represents the 5th Congressional District for, in Missouri. But he got up in front of Congress and, and, and said a little prayer. And the prayer made its rounds on the internet. I want to play this for you because it pertains to our message. Check this out. Eternal God, Noiselessly, we bow before your throne of grace as we leave behind the politically and socially clamorous year of 2020. We gather now in this consequential chamber to inaugurate another chapter in our roller coaster representative government. The members of this august body acknowledge your sacred supremacy and therefore confess that without your favor and forbearance, we enter this new year relying dangerously on our own fallible nature. God, at a moment when many believe that the bright light of democracy is beginning to dim, empower us with an extra dose of commitment to its principles. May we of the 117th Congress refuel the lamp of liberty so brimful that generations unborn will witness its undying flame. And may we model community healing, control our tribal tendencies, and quicken our spirit that we may feel thy priestly presence even in moments of heightened disagreement. May we so feel your presence that our service here may not be soiled by any utterances or acts unworthy of this high office. Insert in our spirit a light so bright that we can see ourselves in our politics as we really are, soiled by selfishness, perverted by prejudice, and inveigled by ideology. Now may the God who created the world and everything in it bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious unto us. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us peace. Peace in our families, peace across 
this land, and dare I ask, O oh Lord, peace even in this chamber, now and evermore. We ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma, and God known by many names, by many different faiths. A man and a woman. So there you have it. He ends the prayer with amen and a woman. Isn't that inclusive? Isn't that progressive? Well, that, that's what really caught a lot of people's eye. And uh, they took to the internet uh, with a firestorm. But I'm going to tell you right now, that's not the story. That is not the story. I want to share with you, what the, that's something worth talking about, certainly. Certainly, uh, one can describe that as blasphemous. But the real story was before that. And I want to put up, this is transcribed. I want, I want to put this up here for you. He says, now may the God who created the world and everything in it, put that on a shelf. Okay, this is how he ends this closing prayer. Now may the God who created the world and everything in it. Then he goes on to the Birkat Kohanim. I mean, this is straight out of the Torah. This is a blessing. It's something that has been said in Christian churches as well as synagogues for thousands of years. Bless us and keep us. May the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us peace. One thing you need to recognize, Mr. Cleaver, he recognizes the beauty of what is spoken here. He wants this so much he's willing to stand up before Congress and say, yeah, this is what we want. We want to be blessed. We want to be kept. We want the peace. This is what we want. He invokes it for a reason. The words are beautiful. But then he goes on and says this. Peace in our families, peace across this land, and dare I ask, O Lord, peace even in this chamber now and evermore. Now listen, we ask it in the name of the monotheistic God, Brahma. That's the story. Now let let me help you out a little bit. Remember what I told you to, to keep back? as he opens in in this closing part of the prayer, and he says, now may the God who created the world and everything in it, do you know what this Hindu God, Brahma, is known for? Creator of the world. Do you understand? Do you understand what is going on right now? And a God, and God known by many names and by many faiths, different faiths, amen and amen. What he just did is he just called upon the name of a false God. But he took the Birkat Kohanim, the beautiful words, God's holy words. They're not man's. He took God's holy word, and now he's attributed it to a false god. Let, let me tell you something right now. The, the way the Torah, the way the Bible speaks about this kind of thing, there is nothing that ca- provokes God to anger more than this. This is why he's called Elkanah. A jealous God. When you start lifting up false gods and taking his word, taking his credit, taking the credit for creating heaven and earth, do you think this is going to come at a serious cost? You better believe it. It's coming. The fire is coming. I mean, you can read in Exodus 20, you can read in Exodus 20, we're not to make other gods to be with him. We're not to do that. Do you know you're not even supposed to take the name of these other gods upon your lips, specifically in this context. And you can read Deuteronomy 18, and you can find out what happens when men rise up and do that. It says they're to be put to death. 
You take the name of another God upon your lips and you call upon that name, you're to be put to death. That's the way the Bible, ta- this, is, this is insane. Well, let me, let me take this a step further. And perhaps we are seeing something that, okay, this is real news. You want to understand the signs and the times, you need to pay attention to what just happened here. Because I've seen this before. I saw King Solomon. I have read about him. I've studied him. He followed Yahweh. He served him. But then he started implementing the voices of other gods. Building altars to them. Recognizing other gods. In addition, he didn't walk away from God and saying, well, I don't no longer believe in Yahweh. You won't find that anywhere because it never happened. What he did is he added, he took all the, all the false gods and he brought them into his camp. Now I ask you, what happened? His nation was divided. Do you understand what is coming? Make no mistake, when, when you see something like this that happens before Congress, this kind of prayer, I've seen this go before and I saw what happened to Israel. Isn't this interesting? This country used to depend upon the God of Israel. Used to call upon the name of Jesus a name you won't find anywhere in this prayer. Totally absent. This country is going to be divided. And many of you say, well, Daniel, with all due respect, uh, that ship has sailed. And in part, I would agree. But division is coming. And judgment is coming. You can't have things like this being spoken in before Congress and walk away from that. You can't, and, and here's, the, here's, here's the other aspect and why I brought this up. Don't think that you can utilize and invoke the Birkat Kohanim and anything's going to happen to your children or anything's going to happen to this community or anything good is going to come upon us when we are not doing it in accordance with how it would pleases the Lord. And there's only one way. It's through the name of Jesus. It's through Yeshua. Total submission to him, following him, Loving him, serving him, hearing him, declaring him. There's no other way. Amen?